Hey folks, John here from A's for Alcoholic. Today's conversation is with Jess Harrison. We talked about defending our childhood alcoholic homes. We talked about getting sober, um, consequences, being married to a normie, and ultimately finding hope and health and help <laughs> um, in sobriety. It was great to speak with her. Um, so without further ado, here is my conversation with Jess Harrison. Jess, thank you for, thank you for this. Thank you for your time and uh, willingness to come on and share. Um, yeah, it's, um, I think it's not always, it's not always easy. And it, it seems, um, it, it sometimes seems uncomfortable, even though, and I don't know how you feel about it, but every time that I am asked to share, I'm always like, okay, what am I going to talk about this time? What direction do I want it to be in? And do I not want to forget that thing? And then by the end of it, I'm like, I forgot that one important thing that I spent all week thinking about, but um, hopefully we can just kind of have a nice, smooth conversation. You know, in defense, I purposely didn't prepare. So I you know, I do what my sponsor says and I pray to my higher power right before and just share whatever message I'm meant to share. But I've in the past had the com- the share before the share. I've had the share during the share. And then I've had the conversation with myself of why did you share that during your share? So I didn't want to actually do that this time. So I'm just going to let it go how it goes. Well, awesome. Well, I have, you know, we, I found you on, on Instagram or, or you found me. I don't know found which you. way it went, but <laughs> Um, and you, uh, I always appreciate people who, who post stuff about like working out at the gym and stuff like that. I know that's probably obnoxious to most people. Um, and that's fine. You know, I understand why that is too. Um, but I know that for me, it was always a very, um, it was something that I put off for a long, 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 long time in sobriety. And again, that's fine. If that's not where you're at, then, you know, but I, <clears throat> that's one of the, the reasons why I like following your stories and stuff like that is I go, okay. Cause a lot of times I like to co- sort of sit around and lament my fate and feel sorry for myself. And I'm like, well, okay, well this person can do it. It can be done. Right. So I always appreciate that about you. Thank you. Um, and, um, but not, but I want to start with going as far back as we can of what your memories are like around alcohol as a child or as soon as it started? Yeah. So I am a child of an alcoholic. Um, as long as I can vividly remember my childhood, I was an only child for the first 16 years of my life. So uh, my main childhood years, um, it was just me, my mom, my parents had separated when I was about 10. Um, but I kind of was sheltered earlier on from my mom's alcoholism. Um, I, I didn't really see it apparent until my parents separated and my mom's, my grandmother passed away when my mom was only 30. My mom had me very young and I'm 35. So to think being 30 and losing a month parent, I just can't even imagine, but that's, that's already when it was just me and my mom in the home. And that's when I really became the adult in the relationship and my mom's um, style of alcoholism was extreme binging, isolation, um, emotional abuse, uh, little scatters of a of physical, but a lot of, for me, my um, introduction to alcohol is it turned somebody that I loved 
into somebody that I absolutely feared from the sense of no security, um, no knowing what was going to happen. And I actually didn't even touch alcohol until I was like, um, like probably closer to 21 because of that, because I had, I think such a large impact of what this introduction of what this, this, this liquid did to people, you know, it, it yeah. turned it as I was my mom into a monster. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I feel <clears throat> I had a very similar experience and it's, um, it's difficult, uh, to say the least. Yeah. And there's this feeling of, I, I guess for me, it was like, I felt like hostage situation in many ways. Right. Yeah. I felt a lot of, you know, going through years of therapy, which uh, hopefully, you know, people that listen to this know that I think therapy pairs really well with AA. Um, going to years of therapy, I understand a lot of my issues as an adult were because when I was younger, I was playing this act of that there was chaos in my house, but there was that notion of, we don't talk about our problems on the outside of this house. You protect, even if your life for me was chaotic, it was my life. So I was protective of it. And I didn't want the world to find out the chaos I was experiencing as a young 10, 11 year old, all the way through my teens. Um, actually my mom didn't end up getting sober until I was in my twenties, but it, you know, it's, it's, yeah, you're hostage to it because you're almost like playing this act, you know, like it talks about in the big book, like we're always constantly playing an act. And I, sadly, I was doing that at a very young age. Yeah. I have this <clears throat> memory of me and my brother and my father being in like, a probably like a Burger King or something like that. And I must've been pr- anywhere between eight and 10. And my brother was a couple years younger and my father's just being an asshole. And I don't know if he was drunk or not, or what we were doing there. I don't remember because there was so much (laughs) abuse. Like this was just another in a long series of abuse. And the thing that struck me though, is as he's leaving, he leaves, he gets up and he leaves to go to the car or whatever. And there's a woman sitting at the booth next to us. And she just looks at me and my brother and goes, it's going to be okay. You're going to be all right. And I was so angry at this woman. Like, how dare you? You don't know anything. This is my life. And it was sort of that feeling of like, you don't get to say anything. This is, this is my little thing. And I protect it. Right. Even as horrible as it might've been. Right. And, you know, um, I grew, I think my mom, you know, being so young, I, when I at least experienced alcoholism, very forward. It definitely happened earlier. My dad probably protected me from a lot of it. My aunt also protected me from a lot or shielded me. I don't want to say protected, but shielded. Um, but my mom would go on these binges and she would like disappear on a Friday night. Like she would go to work and go to after parties. And I would be at home never knowing when my mom was going to get home. And I like tell that story to non-alcoholic people. And they're like, that is horrid. Like a a little 11 year old at home, not knowing when their mom's coming home. Like, and to me, it was my every other weekend or every weekend. And, but it was like, yeah, you, it's like that inner battle. Like, well, don't, don't judge it. Like my mom's a good person. And right. Like, no, but then it's also like, huh? Like that was kind of fucked up in the sense of like that whole sense of my world was so broken and mm-hmm. I was doing my best at a very young age, trying to keep it together. And that included trying to hold our image as a family together. My mom, as an individual, I have great pride and she's an amazing human being. Has done a lot for herself. She's very successful, but I hate 
the alcoholic mom of her. I can literally, and I've had to learn through therapy. It's okay to say that I hate my alcoholic mom, you know, like that person. Um, But yeah, it's, yeah, it's, I can just, I can almost feel that anger. You were feeling that Burger King, like, how dare you impose on my chaos and pass judgment, you know? (laughs) Right. Right. You don't know. Everything's fine. Right. And this is just how we are. Yeah. And just that, that feeling of, of knowing you have to trust this person that you cannot trust for your survival as a kid. Right. And, and that sense of insecurity, you know, like, I mean, my husband's a normie and again, I, he knows most of my life. We've been together a long time, but even still, like, I feel like flashbacks, I don't know about with you, but like flashbacks of my childhood come back to me as I've gotten more sober and more in my program. And I think working more therapy, things come to me where I'll like share a memory and it'll be like, just the look of, I almost feel like he looks at me like helpless, like how, like the poor little you inside. And it's like, at the end of the day, I think we all have a pretty rocky path that we all had to walk, whether it's through addiction or the experience of addiction. But yeah, I still get that kind of sense of don't judge me. Don't, don't you question that chaos? (laughs) Like I can sit here and question it, but not anybody else. It's weird. It's like protective of that little, that (laughs) child. And you, you dealt with this, your entire childhood through high school and, um, yeah, Yeah, I got pretty bad in in high school. Like, you know, it was kind of the norm. My, my friends would come over. My mom would be passed out on the bottom of the stairs Mm -hmm. um, on the floor, or, um, you know, she'd be in bed completely, you know, as I got in my teens, I think that's when I was rebelling. So I'd kind of use it to my advantage, you know, sneak, sneak money from her wallet, go out all night. I still wasn't into drinking. not really much into, I wasn't really into partying, but I was into like staying out with friends. But when I was younger, I just remember I'd be in her room, like watching her breathing. Cause it would be so scary or like hearing her like, kind of like, I don't know if it was apnea or like, like catching her breath weird when she'd be passed yeah. out, freaking out. But as I got older in my teens, it was more like, I mean, to be blunt, like, well, fuck you. Like I'm leaving because I felt like I could, that was like the sense of power I was taking back. But yeah. at the end of the day, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I still lost that sense of security and stability and never felt like I gained it back. Yeah. I used to steal money from my father too. And, <laughs> yeah. um, <clears throat> with this $20 bill. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was a $20 bill, whatever. And, um, we lived in, I was, I grew up in Las Vegas and at the time there wasn't as much development as there is now. And there were a lot, there were huge swaths of desert that oftentimes we would have to walk through to get to school or what I used to walk to school all the time through the desert. And, um, so I would always tell him, I found a $20 bill on my walk to school this morning, you know, because I had to somehow account for the things that I would purchase with this money that I had found. Yeah. And I learned also how much I could get away with before it was too much, you know, like just enough. I'm sure that's how our manipulation skills started as good. Like, right. We hone in on that at a very Mm -hmm. back. And even though I wasn't drinking, my behaviors were very alcoholic from a young age. I mean, just the codependency in general. And then I, it was a weird dance between me and my mom. It was like, she knew I was taking money, but it's like, I'm sure when she was done with her binge and she'd go on bouts of like weeks of like not drinking, and she was almost like, well, if I don't talk about it or I don't address it, it didn't happen. And we're just not. So it was like this weird little like, but I, there's also a part of me that probably thinks I was like doing it, seeing how far I could go, seeing how much I sure. could control of the chaotic situation. Sure. Like it empowered me like, oh, I have now I'm, I'm able to do what I want, get what I want. But 
you know, like I said, reflecting back <laughs> through working a program in therapy, I'm like, gosh, this, all this developed a lot of this, just a sense of abandonment, sense of fear of like, of no identity, you know, constantly just, I, I just, I hated weekends when I I never knew what to expect. I never liked going in on a Friday knowing what all the way through my teens until I actually probably moved out. Yeah. Um, I really knew <laughs> what kind of like, what life was going to throw me that weekend. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have, I, again, I'm, it's reminds me of a lot growing up too. Um, so you, did you leave right after high school when you finally yeah. had a chance so, to? So, um, so my mom had me at 18, you know, my parents were young, fast forward, they split when I was, uh, 10 ish, 10, 11. My mom, uh, my now stepdad years later, um, they get married, whatever. And they have my youngest brother. So we're 20 years apart, me and my youngest brother. And, um, uh, my mom, that's when my mom actually got sober, obviously, um, had to be sober, pregnant. Um, you know, she was older, high risk pre pregnancy. And I, you know, I think she had a couple like slip ups early on in his birth, but, or when he was born, but from then on, I would say before he was one through now, um, I don't know how many years I don't want to fully age myself, but, uh, so I moved out at 21 because <clears> I was like, there's a crying baby. Like I'm trying, I'm 20, I'm 20, 21. Like, this is weird. I don't want to be at a house with a newborn. So I had just started dating my now husband. I'm not even kidding. Like three months in. And I was like, walked over with my bags and I was like, I'm here to stay. And so I literally moved out at 21 and kind of just started. And that's really when my, <laughs> when my career of drinking really took off was when I went out. on my own. Yeah. So, so with, with all of the knowledge of what alcohol and alcoholism can do and had done to your mother and your family and you uh, by, by proxy, um, what is the, is there any thought or are you just like, fuck it, I'm going to have some fun. So I don't, when I was a lot younger, or I shouldn't say a lot, when I was in my teens, one thing I really vividly remember is telling myself, because my mom used to get this look in her eye when she was super drunk. And it, I, like I said, it would literally enrage me. And she would look at me with rage too, because I was her reminder of what she was doing wrong. And I remember I thought to myself, I am never going to drink and do this to another human being in my life. Like, there's no way I'm going to do this to a child, let alone somebody I care for, blah, blah, blah. So when I you know, I dabbled, like I said, I went to parties at 19, maybe had a couple of drinks, maybe played with some drugs or whatever, but nothing was ever like, I had an issue or was like, out to party. and I remember, um, when I was like 2021 20, and was able to go out more, I was more like, I had that sense of like, I'm not going to be that person. So I'm different because I, I don't think that way I've been through it. That whole idea that because we are victims of it, we are protected from it. And it's so, it's such a fucked up idea that we have. Um, but it's true. I had that. I wanted so badly to be normal. I didn't want the scars of my childhood to impact my adulthood. Mm -hmm. I don't know. We don't have control over that. Right. <clears throat> no, no, we don't. I mean, no, uh, we, no, I, I'm trying to think of something good to say, but no, we don't, we don't, we don't have control over that. Um, they, they definitely do affect our, our adulthood. And it's not even until we're able to come to some reckoning with ourselves that we can try to piece together something resembling a normal life. Right. right. Or yeah, a happy I, life or a content life or stable, like I'll settle stable. for stable, right? Like I'll settle for, <clears throat> and I, and I, you know, and I drank 
you know what's funny is because I moved out at 21 my husband's uh eight years older than me so I, I think when we reflect back of my early 20s a lot of the red flags of like severe alcoholism like creeping in I mm. think used for a typical like our society oh you're just 21 you're out on your own it's your first time and I, I think that's why myself I didn't have that inner dialogue conversation of fuck you actually have an issue here like you know and I think that's why my delayed reality came later not only just denial denial plays a huge part in it of course but I think also because I was I was 21 and you know it's kind of a hard you're navigating what's you know, you're just, I wanted to just finally be normal and find my own identity. I spent so much of my adulthood being what I thought other people needed me to be to portray this image of a stable home. Yeah. Yeah. We're so quick to make excuses for drinking, yeah. even just in general as a society, not just ourselves, but right. <clears throat> oh, they're young, you know, they're, they'll grow out of it or oh, they're just being kids. And, you know, maybe that's, that's probably a better time to intervene than waiting until the police are involved or somebody is really hurt or someone's future is, is, is harmed because of something that they've done in consequence that they had to endure. Right. You know, know, let's, until somebody's done digging their own bottom, it'd be nice sometimes to, but then that's, that's the, I think that's also the hard part is, you know, you surround yourself a lot of times with like-minded people and you surround mm-hmm. yourself a lot of times with like pattern people. And what I was, I was with a lot of young people that were drinking excessively. So I was kind of, I think, able to mask it a little bit. And I don't feel like my decline was right, right away. I think I had a very nice, slow and steady decline and then a nice crash and burn before I got sober. Mm-hmm. Um, did you, when you, so you said your, your husband's a normie. Yeah. And so I'm curious about, during those early years when you start, when you were drinking, did his drinking match yours? So in the, so we started dating when I was 21. Um, he's eight years older. So he was 29. Um, and I think, you know, it was fun. I was out on my own for the first time moved out and, and, you know, he's a lot bigger than me. And I was almost like trying to keep up with him and trying Mm. to again, show my own, but it was always like, um, like let's party hard on the weekends, but then he would always like by Sunday, he's like, well, I'm hungover. So I'm going to milk the hangover. So I don't feel hungover on Monday. And I'm like, who's going to feel a hangover. Let's continue drinking, you know, like a good alcoholic. I'm like, who wants to feel nine o'clock on a Sunday. Um, and so again, there was like, probably he was probably drinking. I would say like a, I don't want to say typical person. Cause I don't think it's all, any of it is healthy behaviors of just excessive drinking, but you know, typical, like good during the week. Fridays, Saturdays would be party. And then he'd get his act together Sunday and Monday would mm-hmm. be the <clears throat> right. My behaviors were kind of like, <laughs> as he said, I have, I have not had many hangovers in my life because as a good alcoholic, I just drank when I got up. <laughs> like, I was like, I'm not feeling that that's horrible. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I will say towards the end of my drinking career, when it got really bad before I got sober and I don't want to like hop around too much, but we can get there at some point, but uh, he was using, uh, taking me out to drink, to let me escape because he had escaped me. I was turning into like a monster, if you will. And it was like how he coped it was like, let me get her. She will, she will be enraged until I get her to a bar to get her. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Um, were there aside from the, you know, 
the relationship issues like that were, did you come in contact with any consequences legal or otherwise in your time? Yes. Um, early on, and there's many times I drove un- super intoxicated and did yeah. not get caught by the cops um, and did not hurt anyone, which I am just so grateful for thinking of how intoxicated I was. I did early on get like a wet reckless. It wasn't even a full DUI. I was like 0.009. Mm-hmm. And I had no record and they like dropped it to a wet reckless. Um, and I had to, I remember I had to go to like, uh, they, at that time they didn't require AA for the wet reckless program, but I did had to go to these DUI classes and the way that they talked to us they're t- I was like, they're talking to me like I'm a, I'm an alcoholic and I don't appreciate this. Like <laughs> I just made a mistake. Not of course accounting for the many times I had been driving drunk and not getting caught. Right. Um, and then my actual, I would say bottom involved, uh, towards the last, I would say three to four months before I got sober. I got sober at 32, um, three years sober. Now I, I was drinking, even going to work. I was drinking on the job. I was, um, and I ended up having severe seizures from withdrawals and endless died. And that's what landed me in rehab to get sober. So yeah, there was, there was severe. Um, yeah, I had some issues, but then I also had some scary health issues related to it. So what, um, can you talk a little bit about seizures and withdrawal? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, note to anybody that is listening, that whole, that whole thing that out vodka does not smell is incorrect. So I would drink vodka for work because I'd be drinking. I was, I, it was so crazy, John, like literally my drinking career was like a very steady binge drinker on the weekends, passing, passing asleep early on parties, like just the typical, like very slow decline. And then all of a sudden it's like my body switched Mm -hmm. from you're kind of really out of control to, we actually need this to function and we will do whatever it takes. And I got to the point where I was making a fool of myself in public. So I would just drink at home. I wouldn't go out to any functions. My husband wanted nothing to do with me. Um, and because I was drinking so like, I couldn't even, I couldn't even get up to take a shower without drinking. Like it was just so depend the dependency, like hit me like that out of nowhere. And, um, I would wake up on Mondays and I would be just, feeling like death. And I just had an idea in my head of, well, maybe I'll just have a couple beers if I get ready for work on a Monday. And that quickly transpired into me drinking shots of vodka on the way to work, taking breaks at work. And I was working in, <laughs> I was working in insurance uh, at a commercial insurance brokerage and thinking the most uptight industry won't catch me drinking, but, um, but it's also a very party industry. So I, I guess I thought maybe I just get away with it. And I had started drinking on breaks, drinking on lunch, drinking on the way home. If I calculated to you, like what my day of drinking, it sounds like how I was standing. I have no idea, but my boss kept getting complaints that I either smelled like alcohol, wasn't making sense when I was talking to people was very, I'd like lock myself in an office to work and wasn't really doing anything. And so she like threatened, like, you know, if you do this again, like we're going to have to blah, blah, blah. So I went home and I was, I went home and drank over it, of course, of the threat but I knew the next day I couldn't have alcohol before work. So because I was drinking heavily for weeks on end every single day, and mind you, toward the end of this, I was like getting sick every morning, throwing up blood, like just horrible. And of course, I'm just like, oh, I must be like having a sinus infection, not noticing my body was like literally shutting down from alcohol. So that day I went to work and I didn't have alcohol in like a 12, 10 hour period of time. And I guess just the the dependency that my body was at, at that point, 
I completely shut down and I ended up having seizures at work. I was like packing up to leave. And thankfully I didn't get in a car because I don't think I'd be alive. And um, the last thing I remember is I wake up in an ER and they're doing all sorts of, I ended up having seizures at work, getting rushed to the ER and having seizures again there. Um, but yeah, it was all linked to alcohol withdrawal basically. Wow. And so that was, that was the moment of, of clarity. Um, so I will say the moment of clarity for me, and I actually really over time <clears throat> used to be very, I don't want to say embarrassed of this story, but I used to be very like feeling very, um, helpless of this point. But now as I've had a grown appreciation and like connected with the higher power, I have a lot of like, uh, I just feel very strong sense of this point in my story of, so in the ER, um, I, again, I don't really know what happens. I, and to me, that whole feeling of the gig is up now because my mom gets called, my boss is like telling the people, I think it's alcohol related. She's blah, blah, blah. And I'm trying to tell the nurse, oh, I must've just had an anxiety attack. I'm fine. Let me go. You know, not making sense. And they're like, no, no, no. You've had two severe seizures. Like your, your organs are starting to show like your liver's inflamed, like enzymes are going crazy. Your gallbladders, well, you have to stay in like some, your body's shutting down. And so I was in the hospital for a couple of days. My mom was with me. My husband was actually out of town. My mom stayed with me and, um, I kept doing tests on me every couple hours. I kept trying to sleep and they'd come in, draw my blood because my organs, they were fearing like something, the way that they described how my liver was and like the enzymes that were building around, it wasn't a good sign and everything was inflamed. And then miraculously, like a day and a half, two days later, all my tests start coming back. Like my body's just going the opposite direction. And for me, every time a nurse came in, they would talk. And I just felt like it was Charlie Brown's teacher. Wah, 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 wah. And I'm like, whatever. I'm just thinking in my head, how am I going to get out of this? How am I going to talk my way out of this one? The gig is up. I'm how am I going to be able to drink again? Right? Like, how am mm-hmm. I going to talk my way out of this one? And then the doctor comes in. And it's the only person I heard. And he looked at me. And he looked at the charts again. And he looked at, because the nurse went back and got him after they did all these tests again. And they did like a CAT scan. They did a, a, a ultrasound of my gallbladder. Like they're just, they're like shocked with how my body's responding. The doctor comes back. He's looking through papers and he looks at me and he says, I hope to God you take this seriously. Cause he was just like, I have no idea how your body's bouncing back like this, but it is. And then to me at that point in my drinking career, I know I was just an empty shell of a human being. I was depressed. I was I was basically killing myself without the courage. I use that loosely because I don't think I don't want to kill myself, but thinking without the courage to actually pull the plug. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking if this guy who doesn't know me from patient X to patient Y believes in something that he hopes that I actually get better, I should believe in something and hope that I actually can get better. And that's when I now believe that was a power greater than myself intervening and doing what I could not do for myself. They stopped the alcohol. I couldn't stop John. Like towards the end, the amount of alcohol I was drinking on a daily basis, it literally gives me chills when I think I was functioning that way. And that point is when I had to decide they stopped it. What am I going to do from here to continue? Cause that yeah. I didn't have a chance. Yeah. And so what did you do to, con- to continue? Yeah. My work offered fire me. My work, my job at the time. I don't work there anymore. But they were kind enough to say, if you agree to go to a program, we will 
pause your your employment at this time and let you take leave and go to a program so i felt a little i wasn't i don't say i was like all gut of like i'm gonna go get sober and talk to the world <laughs> I was definitely like you know i think at that time i was ready to do it all for the wrong reasons but i was mm-hmm. ready to, i didn't want to lose my job i didn't want to lose my husband my husband was you know he, he was doing to not to like talk it off track now i look back he was doing what i was doing as a child he was holding our chaotic life at home to himself because he didn't want he wanted to protect my image and yeah the poor guy our whole life was falling apart and he was contemplating divorce and he just didn't know what to do so I didn't want to lose my husband I didn't want to lose my friends so I was like okay I'm gonna go to rehab I have Kaiser we interview uh, their outpatient programs really successful versus inpatient and um I enlisted I you know got out of I think the hospital I don't know if it was a Thursday or Friday and I enrolled that next Sunday or Monday or whatever. And I just started a, a 60 or yeah, I think a 60 day program with an outpatient program, which, which if anybody's listening, doesn't know, that means like you only go in for a certain amount of time during the day, but then you are responsible to stay sober. When you leave that program, get your head on that pillow sober and you go check into that program sober and they, you know, breathalyze you do blood work and all that other stuff. Um, and then from in rehab, the requirement is you get to a AA program and here's how you throw yourself into sobriety. Right. Right. And that, so, and I love this idea of doing it for all the wrong reasons. And I think that, um, cause I was very much the same in that I was like, okay, well I'll do it because somebody else said, or I had, I had friends that were in the program and they were like, just go to a meeting. Right. I, was like, I don't want to go to a meeting, you know, but, but even just doing it, I think is the important thing. So doesn't matter if you're, if you're doing it because your spouse tells you to now, ultimately you and I both know that's not going to be enough to sustain it. Right. Right. But if it starts the process, then do it for your job, do it for your spouse, do it for your kids, do it for whatever. I a hundred percent controversial view. Cause a lot of people are like, it won't last. I'm not, I'm not saying to keep doing it for that reason, but right got me there and it got me taught because I'm telling you this program was fascinating you're in group therapy or in individual therapy or classes you're accounted for at all times and it was one of the counselors I think it was a couple weeks into the program and he just said and I feel like I was also my fogginess was going I was fully detoxed to an extent they put you immediately on vitamins and stuff I had like a lot of damage to my body like I couldn't feel my feet I had like um, alcohol neuropathy and so like it was mm. bad um and so they're like you know, I was in constant therapy and on all these medications and stuff. And he just said to me, you know, if you don't, you have to put your sobriety first. So you never put everything you love last again. And that really resonated with me because I was just like, you feel the sense of guilt when you, I mean, when you start clearing your, at least for me, I cleared my head and the smell of wreckage and the guilt I had, I was just like, I have to make this right. Like I wanted to jump to step nine with my amends. I wanted to go be a spot. Like I wanted to go do everything to make it all right. And, you know, luckily I got a sponsor really quickly too. And she said, same thing. Like you have to work on realizing you're worth this more than everybody else is also worth it. Like I was worth having a good life and getting my life together. Mm -hmm. Not just my husband was worth having a good wife. My work was worth having a good employee. My friends were worth having, I was worth being a sober person. And that I think is really hard after all the wreckage to really come to terms with. Yeah. You know, it's really hard for somebody who, when you spend your entire childhood around it and, and 
dealing with the wreckage and then you you um you repeat those things when the parent isn't there you 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 sort of supplant the behavior of the parent at least i did um and so in a lot of ways i was still abusing i was still allowing my father to abuse me even though he had long since passed through my own behavior right so that's a that's that's a head trip and a half to try and you know figure out how to fix (laughs) or like a dress to look at dress yes just I mean so I I think what was good is like I said they within like they were like we expect you in a couple weeks like you need to get a sponsor we need you need to check off meetings and um I have the most amazing sponsor in the sense that I am a very good manipulator hey I learned from the best at a young age I crafted my talent Mm -hmm. and I won throughout my drinking career And she's somebody that calls me on my bullshit, but also brings it back to me. Like, it's so easy for us to spin, especially when you're trying to work on yourself and all these things that are done to you um, and just realize how do I, how does this, how do I fix me in the situation? So I think with that partnered with therapy and so forth, yeah, that whole addressing. And and I, I had a hard time realizing I became what I promised myself I wouldn't, but you know, I'm curious if you had this too. I remember way before my seizures, I would say maybe a couple, six months before, before I even started drinking at work, but like before the honeymoon stage of my alcohol, I remember driving in my car and I kept saying to myself, don't go to the liquor store after work. Don't go to the liquor store after work. And of course I'm pulling into the driveway of the liquor store after work. And then I remember I get my, I always liked shooters because I can like drink them and toss them. And I remember driving home and I literally said to myself, Jess, you don't got this anymore. Like I, I, mm-hmm. I had a real clear moment that I did not have control, but I continued obviously because you're in denial, but I'm just, I'm always wondering if people have those clear moments, <clears throat> like not that we listen to them, but right. I don't know that I remember a specific one, but more so it was a regular conversation um, of this is not working, but we're going to go ahead and do this anyway. Hey, John, like another bottle and another six pack. And we're going to do this again tonight. And, and, and the conversation would even start first thing in the morning after the first couple of beers before going to work and dealing with the hangover and like, okay, we just got to get through maybe seven, eight hours of this shit. And then we can get back to it. I worked at a bar. So sometimes it got to the point where I was drinking at work and learning how to do that without getting caught. Um, you know, and it's very easy when you work behind a bar, right? Because you're, you're surrounded by it. Right. Um, but there was definitely near the, near the very end, those moments of this is, this is worse than it's ever been. And I can't help myself. And I I don't know what to do for sure. It's a, it's a beyond helpless feeling. Like I, because I mean, it's, it's true. Like your my whole life was a dumpster fire. And I was just like, well, I wonder what the issue is. I don't know why I can't get my life together or I can't like get my head straight. I mean, I was trying anxiety medication. I was trying, must be my diet. It must be, you know, it's just, it's blaring at me, but I remember that clear conversation. And I also remember multiple fights when I was coherent and my husband would just be like, you're an alcoholic, just like your mother. And that was the worst fighting words mm. to me because I was going to prove you wrong. I'm not like her. And 
it's almost like, like you said, like I was almost letting her, it was like, she was fighting with me against that. And I was yeah. like more enraged. I was becoming such an angry, angry alcoholic. Like, so oh, that's, mm-hmm. <laughs> our, our own, our own resentments, you know, <laughs> fighting against us, you know, oh <clears throat> um, still, still defending the chaos of our childhood to our, to our spouses and right. to anybody else who will listen. Yeah. This is the hill I'm going to die on. <laughs> right. Not gonna like. Um, but yeah, how many years sober do you have now? I have three. I, my my sobriety date, and I, God willing, never lose it, is 8-8-18. And it's such a cool date. So I'm like, I can't lose that. Um, so yeah, I have, I had three years in August. So going, you know, I guess I'm almost at the three and a half year mark. But mm-hmm. um yeah, Congratulations. I mean, I thank you. I still feel very much a baby in sobriety, but, um, I mean, yeah, I've, I'm got six and a half and I don't feel like I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm rarely doing it right. Or there's something always missing or, you know, I didn't go to enough meetings or I haven't been to one in a while. Yeah. And it's, there's the, the whole pandemic thing and it's, it's, it's changed a lot of stuff. And although that's no excuse because I could, pop onto a zoom meeting, but you know, that's part of, I think why I do this with folks is because yeah. it's super helpful for me yeah. as much as I think it is for everybody else. So, I mean, there's, there's a little bit of self-serving in this, I think, but <laughs> I, I think there's a little bit of self uh, You know, We say like, we gotta do good and help others. And so I, we would be lying as humans, as long as our intent is to mm-hmm. help somebody, I don't think it's wrong to feel. It also makes us feel good. You know, right. like, and you know, we're self-serving people. We're we're addicts. Yeah, yeah. I was, well, I was writing about it this morning, and the thought the thought that came to me, what you know, when I think about why I do this and why I why I like to do this, and you know, is I think the conversations they help me remind me of who I am and where I need to be, who I need to be, and and where I need to be. And I go, oh, okay, that's right. This is this is the important stuff. All the other stuff can go away. All the other stuff that you are complaining about, all the other stuff that seems to trouble you, all of the, you know, the injuries, the the debt you have accrued, the um, whatever, the relationships you wish were different, like that's all stuff that you will take care of. But this is this is the, where it starts, right? Definitely. This is where it needs to start. Yeah. Um so your your husband's a normie and you don't drink anymore. And I'm always curious about this um, this particular uh, relationship with folks. Now, do, again, does his drinking sort of match yours now? No, or? no, no, um, no. Thank God, I don't. Uh, <laughs> I personally, I personally don't think I'd be able to be sober with my like-minded drinking as my mirrored as my other half or partner um we're both really into fitness that's kind Mm -hmm. of a connection we both have um and so he's a very much super rigid during the week um we don't keep alcohol in the uh we don't keep alcohol in the house and like our fridge or that's just you know this is my safe zone i do have to keep expensive um we had we do have i should say a wine collection i never touched it when i drank it's hidden in our garage somewhere so that because it's like stuff he's gotten over the years but it's not he doesn't contribute to it anymore he doesn't, if he ever gets gifts of alcohol, I never hear about it. It's probably hidden somewhere. Um, and again, we kind of just, it, but you know, it took it, three years in, we're still figuring it out, right? Yeah. Like the party season. It's still a weird dance of figuring. It's a very 
fine line. Cause I think, you know, some days I feel really strong and some days I feel I have total sense of FOMO and some days I, you know, so we try to check in daily. Um, like if he wants to have a drink on a Friday night with dinner, he, he will go have a drink or bring home a beer or something, but I, we don't like stock our fridge. Right. Um, people are allowed to come with alcohol. I ask that they leave with it, but, um, yeah, I think, uh, you know, it was also hard for, we've been together 14, almost 14 years, five years married. And, um, he was my drinking partner. He was my party partner. So that was just a really getting, getting sober was great for me mentally and physically, but it was really hard on our marriage. Cause we had to, we had to build a whole new dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. All the routines, all the rituals, all the daily, weekly, nightly things that you become accustomed to with another person are gone. Well, and it's also even how you communicate, how you fight, how you, all this mm. stuff fueled, um, by, you know, alcohol and like um like when i first got sober my my first year of sobriety was great except for my marriage it was the hardest year of my marriage mm. um and luckily we've worked through it we're in a great place but again it, it took work but i wasn't my sponsor did not let me work on it until a year of sobriety because she's like that's not your business right now your business is to stay sober you can deal with your marriage later right. um, and i had it that was something we both had to learn of like i have to table everything and like focus on sobriety but yeah it's like you i turned my whole world upside down but i turned his whole world upside down too and for somebody that's a normie that doesn't have a program to go to to be like you might start feeling x y and z and talk <laughs> to us about this and we have other examples like he's just like what the fuck just happened to my world and yeah it's yeah. definitely an interesting dynamic and how soon after sobriety did fitness become a, an important part of your life? So you, 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 and A is for alcoholic and your uh, old cast, uh, coast, co-star or yeah. co were a part of my sobriety journey very early on because I had to run off my anxiety when I first got sober. I didn't know what to do with my anxiety. I had intense mm -hmm. bent up anxiety. I actually still have anxiety. Um, I have medication that's not like addictive that they give me through uh, my uh, doctor, but, um, I still had all this bent up energy. So I used to, I started running. I never was a runner mm -hmm. and, um, I would run listening to your podcast and that's how I fell in love with you guys. But, um, that running quickly turned into, okay, I'm like running miles and miles a day. Like it kind of became medica meditation for me. Mm -hmm. And then I started wanting to find a way to channel every negative, uh, heaviness that I would take on, which is life, not just I'm sure being an alcoholic is difficult, but life is also hard on them married together makes it even extra hard. And so I got into weight training and bodybuilding and like strength training, probably about a year and a half into sobriety mm -hmm. Been super solid in that. And that has really been my, my time to connect and center with myself and like really process emotion and process discomfort um, so yeah, I've been probably the whole three years I've been some sort of form of fitness super the last year and a half. That's awesome. Yeah. I've just recently found that I need to focus on the strength training and it's been, um, challenging to say the least. And I didn't know what I was doing and I was getting like, I, I got a kettlebell, kettlebell, kettlebell off of like Craigslist. And then I wasn't lifting it right. And I think I may have slipped a disc in my back. I'm not sure it might be something else, but 
it's, it's an injury that I am still dealing with that happened in April. And, um, so it's been very difficult. Right. And that, like, I just thought I could just run all of my problems away. And if I just kept running, like the running would just lead to more running. And all it did was, you know, I did lose a bunch of weight and then the pandemic and I gained some back. Um, but, and that's fine. But the thing that I've learned now is like the strength training is so important to doing that other stuff. You want to go run 10 miles. You're going to need to have strong legs. You can't just be skinny, right? Like that's not how this works. Yeah. It's a very funny concept, like running in general. And you're right. It's like the further you run, the more you want to go. It's like a really, and I found (laughs) I was becoming addicted to running. Like I was like, (laughs) and like had people in the program are like, you might be like channeling this energy a little bit in an unhealthy way. And I'm like, what are you talking about? My first year of sobriety, John, I ran five half marathons. Like I was like, nice. <laughs> like, and, uh, or like, yeah, I was thinking, yeah, the first, like maybe 14 months. Yeah. I did like mm-hmm. four half marathons and one tough butter. Like I was like, I'm a runner now, <laughs> like, but it was a little excessive. So I had to figure out, okay, what's my intent, which is what I'm always trying to learn in my program. What is my intention behind my action here? Right. Running because I don't want to face something. Or am I running because I am dealing with something that's really stressful and I need, or I need to just have time to myself. You know what I mean? Like I had to, I had to really change my relationship with fitness. Yeah. I feel like lifting heavy things, or in my case, currently when I'm doing, I'm doing pushups, um, it's, it's different than running in that. I can't, I have to face what's in front of me. I have to face the floor. I have to face the, the muscles I'm using, I have to face the heavy thing and I have to find a way to create the strength to pull it up and over my body or whatever the case may be. Right. It's different in that way. Now running has its own special amount of endurance and intention and focus and, you know, will mind power or whatever, but there's something about having to if I'm going to go do 90 push-ups, like I have to be there to do them all yeah. every single one. Yeah. And I, that's, that actually brings up a good point. Cause I think also I like strength training so much is especially cause I, I do lift like really heavy. I'm a very structured program. I work six out six days a week, but I have to like follow a good balanced diet to match that strength. Like I have to, like my whole like life has to be in sync if I want to accomplish that, right. that strong aspect. And it's like, Oh, I have to actually apply myself. All my actions have to be accounted for in a positive way. Right. I can't say, Oh, I'm pissed off today. So I'm going to go squat 160 pounds and I haven't been eating properly. Or if, or if I haven't been sleeping, I'm going to collapse and hurt myself. Or in your case, try to swing a kettlebell and lose my disc in my back. Like, you know, <laughs> it is, those are dangerous. I will, I, I'm not a fan of, I don't, the swinging thing does get to me. And yeah. I most stuff in the gym, but the kettlebell, it isn't, it is intimidating. So, I mean, I'll sort it out eventually. I'm not too broken up about it, but like, it's been very demoralizing, right? Because I thought what I was doing was right. And it was completely wrong. And again, what I have learned and what I've already learned is that it's important to ask for help. Yes. Yes. In all things. Oh, yes. It's like, you know, they keep reminding us of this. And I, I think it's, and it's also okay to just say, I can't today. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like such a weird concept, but I, I personally, I'm always, I have a very full plate, a very full, I go to school full time. I work full time. I work out a lot, like all this stuff. And, and sometimes it's like, 
I think it's that still that little mind in my head that feels guilty for everything I went through and like put people through that. I'm like, well, I can't stop now. Like I have Mm -hmm. to, I have to be accountable for everything I said I was going to do. And sometimes the best thing to do is just pause and just say right now. Yeah. 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 It's important. And I've learned that too. I think that one of the things that the, the fitness and, you know, the backsliding that I've done, because I have definitely, um, uh, my alcoholism has switched over into food and to sugar in particular. And I've let things slide back in that I always said no to before. And so I'm like, well, my mind is very much abstinence or indulgence on or off on or off. And so trying to find some weird balance because I have to have food to live and I'm surrounded by stuff that's delicious and wonderful and all that stuff, you know, like it's different. And so I can't use the same tactics exactly that I could with alcohol where I'm like, I'm just done and I don't eat that. And, um, so trying to find that fine line or, and I don't know, I, I did a lot of calorie restriction and it worked but there were several days that I can remember where I was either starving myself or I would get up from a chair and I would feel dizzy because I hadn't eaten. And, you know, yeah. like that didn't feel right either. No, we're, even though I was 20 pounds lighter. Right. You're like, Oh, well, the output is great, but like what I'm doing to get there. I mean, it's, we're so extreme, you know, like it's, <laughs> it is, it's like, we're just like all or nothing. We're in our, I mean, you know, we're such, I always say an alcoholic is such a dedicated person. Like we are going to drink. You are going to be damn well. Sure. So you get us sober and we're like, well, we're going to lose weight. I don't care if that's, I'm like shaving it off my body with a blade. Like I'm mm-hmm. wait, you know, it's like we have this such extreme dedication. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I had this, I was thinking about this uh, yesterday about wanting to cut weight. And I was like, gosh, I wish I could just cut weight. Like, like, you know, like luggage on an airplane where I just cut the rope and all the luggage flies out into the sky and then we're lighter. And unfortunately my baggage requires me going through every piece of, you know, ratty underwear looking for holes and the stitching coming loose on every single shirt. And like, that's how I have to go about getting rid of things and letting go of things. And it's, it's not an easy as an easy and freeing process in the moment. Right. My hope is that whatever I'm dealing with right now, and I come out on the other end, it will be a more long lasting and sustainable yeah, process. Sustainability. Again, there's that <laughs> sustainability, what we really need. And you know, and also just the balance, I think of finding grace to give yourself that time, right? Yeah. Like, I think we're very much right now, instant gratification as yeah. society, as alcoholics, and combine those two, it's like fire. And yeah, it's, it's really just balancing of like, what, you know, what, what makes me feel good again for the right reasons and not just to avoid dealing with something else. Yeah. Um, well, I want to ask if there's anything, a couple things, what do you, what do you struggle with right now in sobriety? What is your current struggle? I think balance a little bit with my emotional sobriety, definitely gets tested when I have a lot on my plate and I can't always make it to meetings zoom or not. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I, I try my, I always stay in contact with my sponsor, but, um, and just, I, I personally don't give myself the grace when I am struggling emotionally, or I'm having a hard time making meetings. I just feel like it's, it strikes against me. And then it just does this whole spinning effect of like, I'm not a good 
sober person. <laughs> like it's just this whole, um, so sometimes I just wish I'd give myself grace to just yeah. really move through the emotions because I tend to want to just run through the negative parts and like get to the other side. And that doesn't work well for me. Yeah. Yeah. I hear that. I definitely need to give myself a little more grace and a little more forgiveness for things and yeah. realize that things are not that bad. And they're actually really pretty great. Pretty great. All right? things considered. Um, <laughs> um, and then just a quick bit of advice for anyone listening who might be thinking about getting sober or struggling with sobriety. What would you suggest? Oh, yeah. I would definitely, I mean, obviously, I recommend getting to a meeting, but getting to a meeting for the purpose of hope, which I was told means hearing other people's experiences. Because power of actually disproving to yourself that you're not alone, because we like to walk in thinking nobody feels or has experienced what I have, that connection is so powerful to help get to the next minute, the next hour and the next day to just continue taking it a day at a time. Just get yourself around other alcoholics. We are pretty much awesome. And we all have, we all feel the same. We might not have experienced it, but our feelings are the same. Uh, Amen. I think that's a great place to end it. Jess, um, thank you so much. This was awesome. It was really great to talk to you. I'm so glad we got to like (laughs) virtually and verbally meet. Um, Yes. Shout out to you guys. You guys hold such a, your podcast and the message you keep carrying holds such a special place in my heart. And I know it means it touches other people because I was recommended your podcast from another alcoholic. So it's definitely passing on the message. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thanks again for listening. Our music as always is by Neglect. You can find more of his stuff at neglect.bandcamp.com. And you can find us on all social media platforms that matter, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And you can reach us at A is for alcoholic at gmail.com. Talk to you later. Yeah.